everyone, and welcome to episode one of the podcast of the Mages. My name is Tony, and I'm a co-host along with Brandon. We'll be bringing you modern content from Magic the Gathering, so let's just dive into it. Um, one thing I want to talk about first was the uh, top eight of Oklahoma City's Grand Prix. Uh, it seemed like it brought a lot of um, diversity to the to the meta, and um, actually, what are your thoughts on it? Uh, like, first place was Zach Elsick with Lantern Control, and other than him, the actual creator of the deck, and Ali Andrazi, I don't think it's a very big contender, because it's very, what's the word, uh, very skill-intensive deck, and I think, like, other than those two, I don't think it'd be a very big contender, and comes with a lot of draws of the deck. Yeah, actually, I think with, um... I kind of agree. I mean, Zach, I think, first piloted the deck uh, a couple of months ago. In Charlotte. Yeah, it was, it was in Charlotte. And I know at that time, a lot of pros was trying to um, figure out the deck, and there was a lot of moto playing and, um, you know, just kind of seeing it everywhere, and it just didn't bring the success to what Zach did. Um, and I know I'm not a... I've never tried Lantern Control, but looking into the deck list, I mean, it seems, I mean, it seems like it's everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it, like it's all over the place, but it seems like it works for those two. Yeah, I, I guess uh, for people that don't understand what Lantern Control does, uh, it's kind of a prison deck. So what they do, or what Zach does, is um, utilizes his spell skites to redirect any type of spells that either try to target him, or I know the big one was... Uh, or Splinter Twin. Uh, I'm pretty sure he thought Twin was going to be uh, rampant around uh, OKC, so the, I mean, the Spell Skites. Also against uh, Infect. That card was nigh unbeatable, so now Infect is actually main decking. Uh, what's, what's the card? It's swap. Uh, twisted Image. There uh, we go. Twisted They're main decking Twisted Image now to combat that card. Yeah, that's pretty insane. <laughs> yeah, actually, I didn't think Twisted Image would really be playable, except for maybe you know some branch sideboard strategies. But yeah, made us uh, all the way into the main deck. Wow, that's pretty crazy. Um, uh, another card that Zach uses is, of course, Ensnaring Bridge. Uh, Ensnaring Bridge goes against all um, all creature decks um, or any type of creature decks, any decks that run any any creatures. His goal seems to to um, empty his hand early, and uh, by turn three, hopefully cast Ensnaring Bridge, um, and then just locks out the opponent. Um, with Ensnaring Bridge, and of course his main uh, his main card, why it's called Lantern Control, is Lantern of Insight. Um, actually, can you tell me what Lantern of Insight does? Uh, Lantern Insight is one of anything. It's an artifact. Each player plays with a top card of his or her library revealed. Tap it, sacrifice Lantern and Sight. Target player shovels his or her library. Yeah. It seems like he wants to be able to manipulate the top of each player's library, and if they're trying to interact with him, he shovels it away and cards, he filters his old deck and filters their opponent's deck. That's what he's trying to accomplish, it seems. Gotcha. And one other card that actually, to me, brings the deck together is Academy Ruins. Um, so he's able to, you know, 
take cards off the top of his library with Codex Shredder, Ooh, Caller's Bell, um, and whatnot. And also, if any um, artifacts gets destroyed uh, for any reason, I mean, Academy Ruins just brings it back. So, I mean, he's constantly um, having artifacts, access to artifacts, and, you know, can put them on the, on the table at any time. Um, what about his sideboard? Let's see, we're looking at two graph figures, cages, one pipping needle, four sun droplet. Oh, uh, for the burn matchup. Is that for burn? So, yes. Gotcha. So, sun droplet says whenever you're dealt damage, put that many charge counters on sun droplet at the beginning of each upkeep. You may remove a charge counter from sun droplet. If you do, you gain one life. Oh, that's insane if you put, you know, two or three sun droplets in the Yeah, no, that's the insane. Uh, it's not. And all be all for against burn, but it's passable because he's the mainly artifact type deck. So it's it's pretty good. Like I don't think it's like, great, but has, he has to do something against burn because burn's probably a bad matchup for him. Oh, that's definitely fair. Um, we also got some welding jars here. To um, looks like three welding jars, you know, so you can regenerate any artifacts um, that are in play versus you know, hopefully working with Academy Ruins. And oh, that's sick. Yeah. Kevin was with William Jar. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, we also got an Ancient Grudge and a Nature's Claim. Um, if we look at the um, Oklahoma City rounds, one of his, uh, a couple of his losses actually had to do with Karanos. Um, every time he played against Karanos, it seemed like he, he unfortunately lost. Or, yeah, played against Karanos. It would look like that he lost. Um, so I'm not sure if he thought about Karanos or, you know, thought of it as a weakness or thought just nature growth, one nature growth and one nature's claim was sufficient. Um, I guess, Brian, what do you think about this matchup against, you know, a Karanos style deck? Uh, like, most decks already run like one to two Karanoses. And if less is like in their hand, he can obviously just mill over top of it. And they'll just never get it. Uh, I think it's fine. Like he could run like one unravel the aether if he really wanted to. If he's actually even concerned about the card, but it seems with like with all of his like artifacts, the cool cutter's bell, winner insight, and all that stuff. Like it seems they won't have actually have the Karanos. It was just bad beats where the what BBD got Karanos off on him. Yeah. Okay. That was one that I saw that, um, yeah, game two, BBD was able to get the Karanos in, in time and just um, take over the game from there. But fortunately for Zach, uh, he won the whole tournament, so I guess it really doesn't matter at the end of the day, but if you want to care about Karanos, one on rather than Aether, probably do you justice if you want to go that route with it. So I guess based on this deck, you, um, what do you think about I mean, is this a metagame changing? Do people need to watch out for this deck? Or? Uh, like I said before, like it seems the only two players have actually done really well with it, uh, with Zach coming in first in OKC and 13th and 14th in Charlotte a couple months back, and with Ali Adrazi getting 13th as well in Char Charlotte? Yeah, I think it was Charlotte, yeah. So, other than that, like, I don't think it'd be that much of a metagame changer. Uh, if you're worried about it, like most artifact, like your affinity hate, will just overlap in this matchup anyway. 
No, that makes sense. That makes sense. And actually, if we um, that's pretty that's a pretty good transition over from um, lantern control over to Infinity. Uh, looks like Affinity uh, Joseph Raider uh, got fourth place with Affinity. Uh, Affinity seems like it just always a solid deck apparently because no one wants to bring hate for it. And until that time, just keep on playing Affinity and play with your Hammerback Walkers, Etchbound Champions, and Arcbounds, and just grind people out with those. Yeah. Um, so Hangerback Walkers, actually, I mean, it's it's trending into the into the modern field. Um, so Hangerback Walker, it's um, XX. Uh, Hangerback Walker enters the battlefield with X plus one plus one counters. When Hangerback Walker dies, put a 1-1 one, one colorless stopper artifact creature token with flying onto the battlefield for each plus one plus one counter on Hangerback Walker. Um, tap one and tap it to put a plus one plus one counter on Hangerback Walker. So we've been seeing a lot of um, Hangerback Walker, Hangerback Walkers tread into the modern scene. Yeah, and it's just absolutely insane with Arcbound Ravager with the modular triggers. You stack a bunch of things and just dump it on the hanger back, and then when it, if it dies, it'll explode into like 10 one ones. Uh, so you just go wide. That's actually that's pretty true. So it's not even there for defense. I mean, you could you could just keep the uh, traction going with hanger back walker. Um, one other thing that Joseph put in was also uh, three main deck hex champions and two master of Ethereums. It looks like he's. Um, a little bit mana intensive. Um, I mean, uh, like as of lately, like most people have been trying to combat uh, Colgan's man. So Edge Champion has been like a mainstay, and Master Ethereum is like maybe one usually in the sideboard. So it just seems like he just went a lot bigger affinity and is on the plan with Hangerback, killing his Hangerback and just going wide with Master Ethereum with his Anvil. Actually, one sideboard card in the Affinity deck that I haven't seen played. It was also it's played in the Lantern Control. As oh, well. is it? Oh, yeah. The I think the main deck? Yeah, I think it was his main deck. Gotcha. So, um, Girapur Aether Grid is a two colorless, one red enchantment, tap two and tap artifacts you control. Girapur Aether Grid deals one damage to target creature or player. Um, uh, seems solid. Uh, seems like a mirror breaker essentially. So whoever lands this and you just like ping off their whole board if you wanted to go that way. So like once the board stalls, seems like a mirror breaker or actually have more interaction against all the other like infect decks, any small aggro decks. The board gets gummed up and you just go that way or you just fly over top with ink moths. Gotcha. Okay. okay. Fair enough. So um Looking at the other top eight, of course, we had BBD uh, playing you. Uh, Blue Red Twin, um, I mean, he seems like he's he's proficient with that deck. I, I don't think I've really seen him go into, you know, Teamer colors or, or Grixis colors. Um, so he's now staying true to the blue with, with Blue Red Twin. Um, we have Andrew Solano, uh, third place with Elves. Uh, seemed like um, standard Elves, he... Uh, you know, fairly explosive, uh, explosive starts. Not much reach for elves, but um, with with uh, collected company, I mean, it definitely uh, 
helps elves, you know, in the long run. Um, one card in particular that uh, Andrew Swanum did, actually, that was a little bit different from uh, stock elves, was uh, he played three lead to stampede. Um, actually, what is lead to stampede? Uh, it's two of anything, one green, sorcery. Look at the top five cards of your library. You may, re may reveal any number of creature cards from among them. And put the reveal cards into your hand. Put the rest in the bottom of your library in any order. It, it seems like it's copies of Silver Messenger. A reprint from... I can't think of the set, but it got reprinted in Magic Origins. It's basically the same thing. Three of anything, one green, trample, two two elf. When it enters the battlefield, reveal the top four cards of your library, but all elf cards reveal this way into your hand, the rest of the bottom of your library in any order. So it's like Silver Messengers, what, four, five, six? To just grind out your opponent? Oh, uh, yeah, exactly. And as well as uh, Collective Company, I mean, so he's actually attempting to bring, you know, uh, keep elves in, you know, turn by turn. Uh, Silver Messenger, as well as Lead the Stampede, I mean, once there's a board wipe, I mean, those two cards just seem like gold. Yeah, I mean, he... But it went deep with Chameleon Colossus, which is two of anything, double green, shapeshifter, with changeling. It's a 4-4, four, four, protection from black, and his ability is two of anything, double green, Chameleon Colossus gets plus X, plus X, until end of turn where X is its power. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure... Like, I'm sure you bring us against, like, Jun-type decks, Tasker and Control decks, so you can't really kill it, because it doesn't have a Lightning Bolt, obviously. Uh, if that's what you're looking for, instead of just trying to grind them out with the Collective Company's lead Stampedes, then sure, go ahead. Like, all yeah, the deck cards that great. Yeah, that, that seems kind of kind of weird, especially if he's uh, somehow splashing in white for Rest in Peace and Fracturing Ghost. I mean, wouldn't that other Shapeshifter just be better? The one where... He, um, where it attacks all other elves, get plus S plus X plus X, um, depending on number of elves in play. I can't think of the name, but I've seen it in a couple of stock uh, elves lists. I mean, Chameleon Colossus definitely seems un underwhelming. Um, yeah, he does block uh, Tasker, but again, that's that's okay, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, he, he can have that. <laughs> um, let's see. So we also had. Uh, Burn from Jasper jo Johnson Epstein. Amulet Bloom from Benjamin Miller. Um, actually, let's dive into Amulet Bloom right quick. Uh, I think a couple more, in a couple of Pro Tours away, we're going to be having another modern Pro Tour. As well as there's going to be um, Battle for Zendikar coming in in a couple of weeks. What do we think about decks like Amulet Bloom and um, Gorio's Vengeance and you know those potential turn two decks? Do we think any of them going to be banned, or any of those cards within them are going to be banned? What's your thoughts? Like, the argument with that is, like, Anya Bloom, Grishol Brand, <laughs> and then, like, Green Red Tron, like, uh, uh, Green Red Tron is not in these cases, but, like, the combo decks that are trying to win, like, turn two, with a, with uh, Primeval Titan, or just Grishol Brand in general, like, they haven't won, like, an actual big tournament. So as long as they're just like slowly getting top eights or whatever, and not actually winning anything and impacting modern, then I'll, I think they're fine currently. 
I don't like the decks personally, but that's is what it is. Yeah, it seems like glass cannon, but I mean, it can definitely wreck face in a. Oh, it'll definitely, it'll definitely <laughs> spike uh, IQs in here and there, and people are not just prepared for it. I guess uh, just getting top eight easily at Grand Prix. Yeah, I mean, fair enough, fair enough. And to round out um, uh, top eight, we also had uh, Paul Rietzel with Merkel, and. Um, also, Scape Shift on 8th place. Scape Shift uh, by Matthew Duggan, I mean, it seemed fairly stock. Was was there anything really interesting in, the, in Scape Shift other than it making top 8? <laughs> uh, no, not really. Uh, Your God stands out a little bit, but that's just the fight all of the of, like, Infect, Affinity decks, so you just look, live a little longer so you can actually combo out with Scape Shift. Uh, I was reading a little bit into Jerry's article, and he's actually saying Scape Shift was like probably the best deck for the tournament, so I'm pretty surprised that Matthew Duggan did not actually get first. I guess he even might have... Who did he lose to? I actually do recall. I don't recall. Um, I do know that he, out of two games, by him only running two Valakuts uh, in his main deck, actually hurt him more than helped him. But on the other hand... Um, he did a lot of interaction that I haven't seen from Skateshift before with uh, Cryptic Command. Um, so, a lot of times, actually, I think he lost to Paul Rietzel. Okay. Or Paul, which was in pressure pretty quickly with Spreading Seas and everything. The Lords. Yeah, there was, it was, it was interesting. What um, Matthew Duggan did in a lot of his games, um, when he maxed out on Skateshift, he actually Cryptic Command bounced one of his own mountains to be able to replay it to build, you know, the extra uh, points of damage to get through. It seemed like a lot of his opponents were aware of his um, upscape ship and really just didn't get to uh, 18 points of damage before, you know, before Matthew Duggan, you know, had to do something like that. So that was one thing I, I did take notice about and something I've never seen. I know I played scape ship for a little bit, a um, little bit of time and, yeah, that was nothing I've ever thought of uh, with Cryptic Command bouncing your own mountain. Yeah, it's a pretty neat interaction. Yeah, well, uh, I guess one other card he brought in was Compulsive Research. That card's gas. <laughs> it's just straight gas. So let's see, it's uh, two colorless blue sorcery. Target player draws three cards, and that player discards two cards unless he or she discards a land card. I mean, yeah. That <laughs> it seems like he's just always netting three cards, because usually this deck will obviously flood out. That's what you kind of want to do, because you're, you're like a land-based deck. But you always have it land to discard and just draw three cards for three mana. That's two and anything, one blue, draw three cards. Like, no downside. Yeah, I mean, I mean, definitely makes sense. I mean, the rest of his deck uh, seems pretty stock. I mean, you got your four tribe elders, you got two uh, snapcasters. Yeah, four lightning bolts, peer through depths, remand, or search for tomorrow. His sideboard is uh, three obstinate Baylaw, two ancient grudge, two combust, two dispel, one fracturing gust, one to theory. One brings up in uh, counter wars and blue mirrors, essentially. Yeah, I mean, definitely makes sense. Um, we haven't seen to theory, I guess, in a little while recently, but um, good to see him come back a little bit. Um, one creeping corrosion, one fire spout, and then uh, two sewing salt. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it seems like just a fairly solid deck. Uh, we haven't seen it a lot in the top uh, top of the leaderboards, but I'm uh, glad to see it back in. It's usually creeping around like top 32, usually like in all the tournaments, like bigger tournaments. So glad tonight for Seascape Ship to get like top eight, well deserving. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so that rounded out uh, top eight. Um, 
Muslim decks to note. Um, let's go over Jerry Thompson's list. Uh, he played Grixis Control and got 33rd place. Alongside with Michael Majors. Uh, they worked in this deck for like a day, I think, I believe, together. And uh, Michael Majors got like 53rd with like the exact same list. Oh, wow. What he just? What did he do? He just uh, had two power clasms. Yeah, added two power clasms like the last minute and then tell Jerry about it. So I guess seventy three to seventy five, exact same. Gotcha. But yeah, I mean, let's let's go over the deck list real quick. We got one Grim Lavamancer, three Snapcaster Mages, uh, four Jace, uh, Bren's Prodigy, two Pia and Karen Nalar. Um, Chandra's parents. <laughs> card is awesome. I've tried it for a while now, and that card is amazing. Especially with Colvin's Grand. So you just get like wide and stabilize against Infect and Affinity. And you just keep on like rebinding back so you can never actually attack through it. Yeah, so I guess Pia here in the lore, it's a uh, two colorless, red, red, legendary creature, human, um, artificer. When Pia and Kieran Nalar enters the battlefield, put two 1-1 one, one colorless Thropter artifact creature tokens with flying into the battlefield. Two colorless and a red sacrifice an artifact. Pia and Kieran Nalar deals two damage to target creature or player. Yeah, I mean, it actually seems fairly solid with Grixis Control. I mean, yeah, I like, if I, even if I was playing Jun right now, I would pick Pia and Kieran Nalar over Huntmaster. Because just the fact that it actually stabilizes you against like Infinity. I like Hot Master, because you just have two ground creatures and they just fly over the top of you still. Same with like Infect. You just like gain two life, irrelevant, two two wolf, or well relevant, and then you just fly over with Ink Maul. You just die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For sure. I when I first saw this card spoiled, I never thought I would it would see play, uh, other than limited, um, maybe even standard, but actually making it into modern and being good. Uh, is actually surprising, um, to me. But yeah, anyways, we also got two Tassigers, um, one dismember, one go for the throat, two polygons commands, four lightning bolts, one mana leak, two remains, one terminate, three thought scour, uh, twisted image, that was the card that we talked about earlier, to go against spell sky, four inquisitions. Uh, another card that was interesting was uh, Rise and Fall. That was another card I really didn't think would see much play. Um, I know Fall is similar to, uh, you know, him to Torok, which is, which is pretty cool, but... Um, hopefully they don't discard a land. Yeah, usually when they usually try to step up Rise and Fall or whatever, they usually cast like turn four or five and usually just snipe their last two cards. Because most decks are obviously playing out their lands every turn. Unless they're flooding, then Fall is just a really good in the Turok. Exactly. And then four Serum Visions. In the sideboard, though, we got uh, two Glenn, Lalandra Archmage, uh, one Is It Static Caster, three Leyline of the Void, one Dark Blast, two Dispel, one Dreadboard. Two Molten Rain, another Rise Fall, and then uh, two Vandal Blast. His goal was to pretty much have a fair chance against everyone um, in the field. Uh, definitely seems like a solid deck to bring to OKC. You know, pretty cool that he worked with Michael Majors and, and uh, came up with this deck uh, real quick. Yeah, I guess what are your what is your take on it? Uh, like another All Star deck is like Jace Bren's Prodigy. It's just another Snapcaster, but it's like a proactive Snapcaster. So you like. You always have like five cards. You always just tap it, draw a card, discard, flip, and get any spell you want back. That's why this deck's very light on uh, counters. It's like there's no crypt commands. Just like one mana leak and two remands. And just always be able to buy back Jace with Colgan's man as well. So you just like always have a steady stream of cards and slowly just grind your opponent out. Everything else just seems like straightforward. Just normal Crystal control stuff. Just Jace's Rinse Prodigy is like a really good card right now, in my opinion. Yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of people agree because uh, 
you know, that that price is up there. I know when Jace Rinse Prodigy was spoiled, well, that was bucks. another card. Yeah, that was another card that just people weren't really interested in. Um, having a two-mana loot just did not seem... Like, a Merfolk looter that can't actually attack is rare. But there's just so much more upside to this Merfolk looter, essentially. Yeah, so it seems like they, they just keep getting Jace right. <laughs> people love Jace. I guess one other deck that we're going to talk about from the Grand Prix was actually my favorite deck of the tournament. Uh, Patrick Chapin got 64th place with Teamer Prowess. Um, did you want to go over Teamer real quick? Uh, go over the creatures. It's four Abbot of Carol Keeps, four Monastery Swiss Spears, three Caster Mages, four Tomergoyfs, four Mishra's Bobbles, two Rancor, one Seal of Fire, two Izzet Charms, four Lightning Bolts, two Remands, four River Snags, and four Jadaxian Probes. And four Cerevisions. Like, the card that stands out the most to me here is, like, Abel Carol Keep. Again, we'll just keep with the line of, it's like another Proacto Snapcaster Rage that will actually kill you very quickly. Yeah, actually listening to um, the podcast, uh, top-level podcast with Patrick Chapin and uh, Michael Flores. Patrick Chapin is, loves Abbot of Carol Keep. Uh, as soon as the card got spoiled, uh, he stood behind it um, 100% and really just hasn't looked back. This deck uh, itself, I mean, he actually favors Abbot of Carol Keep more than Snapcaster Mage. He likes looking forward a little bit deeper into the deck. Snapcaster Mage is back up, so, you know, of course he can replay any spells that he needs. And then, of course, Tomergoyf just, you know, being the bodyguard of this deck, you know, just being a powerhouse on itself. What was a little interesting to me was the four Monastery Swift Sphere. Uh, he seems fairly tempo-ish. Um, he can go quick. Of course, with Monastery Swiss Fear and Abbot of Carol Keep. But a lot of the games that I saw, he was more uh, of a tempo strategy. So I'm not sure if that's something that he may change or may look at an, another card instead of Swiss Fear. But I do know Abbot of Carol Keep was a powerhouse. And when I actually saw it in play in this deck, I had to go and buy four, get the play set, just because I knew the price was just going to go up. And I guess in our talks, too, Brandon, I mean, we talk, you talk about Abbot of Carol Keep and you seem to back up the card, too. Yeah, like right now I'm playing like red-black Abbott Value, where we'll go over to like this later on. Just like that card with Colin's Man, just, just keep on grinding your opponent out. Just keep on buying Abbott back, make him discard a card, play Abbott, get a card, and just repeat the value. Just keep on going. Card's really good. Yeah, I mean, I mean, seeing the same, and I, I'm a believer now of Abbott and Carol Keep actually, from seeing this tournament. So, yeah, I'm actually working on a deck now that That'll use Abbott and Carol Keep. Hopefully, we'll play it at this FNM this Friday and uh, see how it goes. But but yeah, I mean this this card is hands down probably my favorite card from Magic Origins. Um, I know Jace is probably second, um, but in my opinion, but Abbott and Carol Keep to yeah. be able to dig that card off the top. I mean, and and then the prowess triggers on itself. I mean, he's a monster. Yeah, like the two Magic Origin cards, or probably three, I guess would probably be Jace, Abbott, and then probably Pia Candelar. The best three cards in Magic Origins. It would say a lot, obviously, blue-red cards. Just keep on getting better, I guess. <laughs> For sure. For sure. Yeah, so that was all of um, GPOKC. What I love about Modern and why we're thinking about a Modern, doing a Modern part podcast is kind of twofold. I mean, one, a lot of people love Modern, especially around this area, which is in uh, Central Virginia, Shenandoah Valley area. But not only that, I mean... 
when you go to a Star City Open or even an IQ or a Grand Prix, when people hear the word modern, I mean, the attendance record, I mean, we're shattering attendance records for constructed GPs. With that being said, there isn't a lot of coverage on modern. Not a lot of pros are talking about it, and they have their reasons, and those reasons are valid. We also had to fight to have a pro tour stay modern instead of having four standard pro tours. But looking at uh, the top eight here or top 16, even the top 64, the amount of diversity that modern brings in, I mean, it's just... It's insane. I haven't had a stale... I've never seen a stale format with Modern yet. You know, other formats like Standard or maybe even Legacy a little bit. You still see the same in Legacy and Standard hit top eight. I know Standard's going to be changing and their form, you know, their rotations and all that are going to be more, which will hopefully help. But Modern has been around for, what's I guess, three to four years now. Yeah. And I don't think I've seen a stale top eight yet. There's always been something that's just out of nowhere. I mean, yeah, they always have diversity, usually in the top eight. Yeah, I mean, all of a sudden you just see a random return to the ranks deck or aristocrats deck or lander in control. I mean, if you look at Ghoul Collarsville, you never thought that <laughs> Ghoul's Collarsville would be in a competitive magic deck. And someone created it and, I mean, actually won a tournament with it and not just won a tournament, won a Grand Prix. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. I mean, Modern is still going strong. Um, hopefully we get more coverage on it. Hopefully the Pro Tour, I mean, we'll, we'll see new innovative decks. What's showed in this Grand Prix is that innovation's still out there. Yeah, I mean, we'll just hopefully just keep on going. All right, and talking about the modern format, um, one of the big changes that's coming is, uh, actually I believe it's, what, two weeks from now? Yeah. Um, is the new mulligan rule. Um, the new mulligan rule um, is when you uh, mulligan your hand, uh, you keep your hand and then you scry one. Um, at the beginning of the game. Uh, I guess, what are your thoughts on it? What, what do you think? Uh, my thoughts on it is, like, I, I have yet to test with that, so my views are, might be skewed. But uh, magic is variance, so if you mold a five, you just got one land, and just die because you have one land, that's, it is what it is. Uh, it's, it's variance, it happens. And just make, it seems like it makes combo decks better, makes Delver Secrets even better. That's, not so much modern, I guess, because it still probably won't never flip. And, but in Legacy, it seems like it's really strong with Delver, so you always just, like, mulligan and just run up Delver, because you know it's just going to flip immediately. My views may change once I start playing with it, but right now, as it stands, I'm not a big fan of it. Yeah, I can, I can see it working with, with Standard and, and Limited, you know, trying to make each game possible a game. But the more powerful you get into... Um, I mean, the more far back we're talking about modern legacy. I mean, even vintage. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm kind of on. I'm on the fence about it. I think that it can uh, be good. Um, I'm glad they decided to try it. It's a change. Uh, I'm fine with change when it comes to uh, magic to hopefully make the game more more fun. Um, but on the other hand, I think I'm inclined to agree with you right now. I mean, we. We have Delver secrets. We have things that rely on the top of our deck, and to you know have the possibility to manipulate that in any way. I mean, it, it almost seems a little too strong. So yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, we'll see in two weeks, I guess, um, once it starts being played. But but yeah, I'm I'm definitely on the fence about it too. And actually, talking about you know the change, we're also getting a new set coming in. Uh, Battle for Zendikar. All the cards have been spoiled now, and. I'm kind of meh about the set. Uh, Zendikar itself was an amazing set. It was actually defining of Magic the Gathering. 
to me. I know I came back into magic right at the end of shards, uh, the shards block. Um, so I was able to see Zendikar fully in the competitive scene. And that really is the set that kept me into Magic the Gathering uh, to this day. Battle for Zendikar, however, meh, not so much. Um, yeah, they're like, there's some cars that are like, they're cool and all, but it's just like, it seems like it's not as strong as like, obviously Zendikar was, or as fun. Yeah, I mean, it really just seems like a limited set. I mean, limited, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Standard, I really don't see them changing a lot <laughs> of decks. Um, I'm thinking you're going to see a lot of Absan still. Uh, I mean, granted, they lose a lot of... I mean, I guess they lose their discard and they lose their spot removal, but, I mean, they still got the powerhouses. And then Modern, they only have, I think, a few cards that may see Modern play that we're going to talk about. But, but yeah, um, what cards do you see as a possibility? Like, right now, there's, like, small zoo decks with Kurt Apes, Loam Lines, and some may, some variants of, like, Steflinks. So I can see maybe a Kindy Slide Runder, which is, like, one of anything. One red, a 2-1. With Trample and Lampaw, I can see that alongside with the Snapping Garl. Garnab. One of anything, one green, 2-2, two, two, Lampaw. You just, like, a load of ground, collect the company, Zoo Deck, which is, like, Lampaw triggers going off. But, like I said, uh, over time, maybe just Loam Line and Kurt Apes would just be stronger, because they're always going to have 2 power. Be better in general, but I can see maybe it was making a small splash and just people playing Collective Company, like Landfall decks, I guess. And maybe even next, next card would be Fathom Peter. It's a 1 1 Death Touch, Devoid, so it has no color. Has Ingest, so whenever deals combat damage to a player, that he excels the top card of his library. But also has the ability of 3 anything, blue black, colon, draw a card. That card seems decent, maybe. Like, uh, I'm not sure if anybody would actually adopt that card. It's a very bad build for Tricks. It is what it is. Might be able to play it. And then, I guess the next card would be, like, Lumbering Falls. What do you think about that card? Uh, Lumbering Falls is actually the card I'm most excited about from the list. I mean, I'm glad Manlands were confirmed. Manlands help keep the game interesting, so when you start to flood, you still have an opportunity to either attack or block. Um, Lumbering Falls is no exception to that. I mean, seems powerful. I mean, four mana to have a 3-3 hexproof with the keyword hexproof. In the in the list is in my mind. I mean, it's it's pretty top tier. Green, blue. I mean, green having the flavors there. Uh, blue having the hexproof. Green being just you know a solid body. I don't think it's as strong as Raging Ravine or Celestial Colonnade, but I I would place it probably third in the list right now. Um, like the thing it doesn't have going for it right now. It's not a real like a home for it right now. There's no modern deck that will adopt it very easily. So that little time will tell if it's actually any good or not. But 3-3 three, three for that's a hexproof, like late in the game, that can never be touched, and just like grinding down, seems decent, but like there's no deck right now that can actually adopt it, unfortunately. Like, very easily. Uh, maybe. Now now we're going into my brewer phase. So <laughs> um, I'm thinking maybe Bug or um, Sultai, I guess. You know, having a little extra. I'm also thinking maybe Scapeshift, only because... We saw, I mean, we saw to, uh, last week with Matthew Duggan, I mean, he just had a hard time. Maybe it was just better to have a third Valakut piece, or maybe he can just have an alternate win condition as that. So, I mean, maybe. Uh, I'm not I'm not entirely sure, but I do think the card itself is pretty powerful. I'm definitely excited for that card, uh, personally. Yeah, it's like no denying the power. It's just like, is there a deck, is there a home for it? Like, is it better than Creeping Tarpit and the Soul Tide Control decks? 
a modern, who knows, it's hard to say, because 3-2 unblockable versus 3-2, or 3-3 hexproof, it, it's close. Yeah, definitely fair, definitely fair, um, but I know I'm definitely excited to try it out, um, I'm pretty sure a few other people are too, I think it'll find a home, I don't think it's going to be an automatic, you know, 3 of, um, maybe, I would say a 1 of, possibly a 2 of, but... Be a 4 of some decks, hey, you never the know. right deck has come around. You never know. That's right. I guess some other, since we're on Battle for Zendikar, some other cards that are interesting um, in my mind is also uh, Gideon, um, Ally for Zendikar. I'm honestly not sure if he's going to see much play. Uh, he seems he seems fairly solid in, in some sort of creature deck. But one big thing about Gideon, or I guess two big things, one is you can have a Glorious Anthem uh, for four mana, which is relatively worse but on the other hand will he be the missing piece for any type of ally fringe deck allies allies have always been cute in my mind it was actually the first standard deck when i came back into magic to play i really liked allies because i remember how i liked slivers you know way back in the day and having a one-sided sliver deck um you know called allies i thought was a lot of fun uh fairly powerful um on the other hand, when we went to Charlotte, I actually saw a couple. They didn't. They unfortunately didn't make it to you know top eight or top sixteen. But I think top sixty four. I think there was two ally decks. There was two banned ally decks that I saw. Yeah, they're looming around, and I'm not sure if Gideon will be a right fit for them. It might be because obviously an ally trigger, but there's still like a collective company ally deck, so you won't really want to like mill over your Gideon or whatever. But it's still like a strong card in general. That type of strategy probably. Yeah, so it's going to be iffy for for Gideon. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, like I said, it may it may see a little bit of play. I know some people are are thinking it's extremely powerful. I in modern, I do disagree with it. I think Hellspeth is just better than Gideon or Hellspeth uh, Knights um, in particular. I mean, Sorn is better if you're looking at white and black um, in my mind. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, we never know. Glorious Anthem might be <laughs> might be needed. Yeah, like the upside of that is like you can immediately like it's a bad four mana Glorious Anthem, but at least you get like the effect immediately and it'll stay there. Your opponent can't actually disrupt that at Ex- all. Exactly. And also, I mean, if you plus it, it's a five five. Yep. <laughs> so I mean, five five indestructible. I mean, that's that's fairly hard to beat too. Chipper and getting Jura. That's right. Another card I'm sort of interested about. I'm not sure if it'll see play. Is a new Ulamog. Um, Ulamog being a mana cheaper uh, than the previous Ulamog, as well as um, on two permanents versus one permanent. Of course, the big drawback is Annihilator. I mean, <laughs> Annihilator is pretty ridiculous. It is beatable, with the exception of my opinion. I mean, Emrakul. But being indestructible and being on two permanents, I mean, seems... Seems fairly strong. Yeah, right? seems strong overall. Uh, I just don't think like any of the Tron decks will adapt it. Like, adopt it, actually. Because it's not the sweet spot of 7 mana. And that's really where they want to be. Like, obviously, I guess Ugin was the exception with 8. So turn 4, at least. But, could be wrong. They might adopt him as well. But I am not excited for that card. For that type of deck. Could be wrong, though. Yeah, it seems fair. One of the other actually kind of cool things about Ulamog, though, is that it doesn't shuffle into its owner's library. So, I mean, of course you want to cast them solely on the fact of being able to exile two permanents. But on the other hand, I mean, bringing him in as an indestructible 10-10 that exiles 20 cards off top of the library, either via 
you know, Gorio's Vengeance or Umburial Rights. Yeah, Rights I mean, Package. Yeah, I mean, it definitely could be. I mean, Exile in 20 cards, that's three turns and you win the game. So it can be chunk block, chunk block but you don't really care. Because uh, in my mind, at that point, you're looking at 20 cards off the top of the library. Exile, too. I mean, there's no way. Of course, there's a way of getting it back, but there isn't a many reason, ways. <laughs> yeah, a reasonable way actually getting it back. Exactly. So, That'd yeah. Feasible. So, I mean, we'll see. It may... I don't see it ever being multiples of in any uh, capacity of any deck, but I mean there might be one or one here and there. Other than that, though, I mean I'm thinking that's it. I yeah, mean, there there's a better sewing soul. Yeah, one one less for mana. And yeah. I don't know if the necessarily the, the the void would actually matter in any case. It might, I guess, flasheries hits sewing salts. So yeah, but few and far between. Like I don't think that the void will ever matter. And one less red is actually splashable now. So. Slightly better, probably. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so we'll probably see that in play in, in turn of Sowing Salt. But other than that, I mean, I'm thinking that's it. Uh, wasn't really a fan of Kiora. Wasn't a fan of uh, Omnixilus. Like, like, no, like a five-mana sorcery kill target creature. That's that's not very good. Yeah, I, I don't think that's where you want to be. As well as having, you know, a Phyrexian Arena tied to a Planeswalker. I mean, <laughs> like, that ability is strong, but, like, the only way it protects itself is, like, literally just... Five mana sorcery, kill your creature, and then even if they're like they're going wide against you, like he just dies immediately. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, battle for Zendikar. I'm giving it a man. We'll see. We'll see if allies get any uh, good stuff. Um, I'm actually rooting for it, but in my mind, I don't see it. So yeah, well, I mean, we'll see in the in the uh, coming months. We'll be looking forward to the second set, though. Uh, second set. I'm still hopeful. I'm still I still hope they'll bring the flavor of Zendikar back. Green black man land. There we go. So the last thing we wanted to talk about was actually, I guess, what we've been working on. I know you went to uh, FNM this past Friday. Yeah, I went to Graveyard over in uh, Bridgewater, and this is the second week I've been playing this deck. And like through testing, has been like really good for me. Like, been really good actually. Uh, recently, or last night, rather, I played five rounds, lost to Green Road Tron, I won against Naya Zoo, won against Green Road Tron, won against Merfolk, and won against Tasker Twin. The deck overall. It's just very low to ground, 22 lands, and you just, you're pretty much right in the back of Dark Font and Abedal Carakeep, which and also uh, Coleman's Man, which is like the main parts of the deck, which just keeps them going. So you just like slowly grind your opponent out, keep on two for one in them, keep on two, two for one in them, and win. You just grind them to, to dust. Um, I guess over the deck list, it's uh, two Hangerback Walkers, which is obviously, I guess, really good with Coleman's Man, so like... Keep one two for one of them. Two Grimlaw Mancers, four Abbots of Carol Keats, four Dark Confidants, one Young Pyromancer, and one Olivia Baldarin. And for the spells, it's one Slaughter Pact, one Dark Blast, four Inquisitions of Cosalect, four Lightning Bolts, two Thought Seizes, two Terminates, one Dismember, four Colonist Man, four Leliana's Avail, and one Murderous Cut. And as for the lands go, it's four Black Thieves Cliffs, three Blood Crypts, four Blood Same Ires, one one Ghost Quarter, one Lava Claw Reaches, two Mountains, one Meat Vault, three Swamps, one Orboard, Tomb of Yawgmoth, two Red Catacombs. Uh, like, there's only been, like, one game where I've been light of lands, and that was against, obviously, the Green Road Tron deck, round one, game one and two, and just, like, mold a five, and just die to turn three Tron. It's fine. Variances. Variance. Uh, the other game, just pretty much 2-0, 2-0. Because for Green Road Tron, like, my package is just, like, Blood Moon. And just hopefully, like, resolve that card and just kill them. 
because I used the Steinborn coils for days. And for the board, it was two duresses, two not hell spell bombs, one a rending volley, one shattering spree, three vampiric link, because the match burn is pretty bad. And even so, it gets worse because they just get destructed regularly against you, so it is what it is. One terminate, four blood moons, and one Pia and Karen Delar. Again, Colby's man with Pia and Karen. Just, just gas. Straight gas. So I guess, what, what about Young Power Mancer? I mean, how, uh, how do you like, like him? Uh, it was three Young Power Mancers before I switched it over to one and two Hammerback Walkers. Like, I found it was just hard to play Young Power Mancer and have mana up to actually get value from them. So it was never a it's very rare that I actually get to go turn three young pyromancer and get token because sometimes I'll just stall in two lands, but it's fine with his deck because everything costs two and less usually. Young pyromancer is just like a one-off, just fine. Like you draw it late game, then you actually get to play stuff. Especially with dark glass, it's pretty sweet. You always just recur tokens, and just keep on going and going. Other than that, uh, just I've been liking the two-one split with young pyromancer and hangerback walker. Yeah, hey, fair enough. Fair enough. It's, is this something uh, I know we're Eagerly looking forward to Pittsburgh, uh, GP Pittsburgh, and I guess two months from today. Um, Creep it up. Yeah. I mean, is this something that you're you're thinking about working on? Uh, like, so far through testing, this deck's been very good to me as, as well. Um, what I also want to test out is, like, Jerry's new deck. Jerry's and uh, Michael Major's new deck. Okay. That deck seems sweet. I was through play testing. I was playing against that deck, and I just got wrecked. Yeah, that's you. Not sure, like it was variants, whatever. Just like a, he won five games to my one, and it was just bad. Not sure why. Um, and also the last deck, I was obviously it would be John. So green, like losing green for the black red. It's big because you lose Tarmogoy, Frazier Ravine, Treetop, Scavenging Goose, which helps your games against Burn. But the only upside to this deck over that would be because you get the free roll Blood Moon, and so it helps you against like the big mana decks. But the meta game might change. And Affinity and Infect will just hopefully keep Neuritron and Emma Bloom at bay. So I might not even have to worry about them. Oh, fair enough. Well, I guess what I played this weekend on Moto, uh, I played uh, Prelim PTQ as well as two eight-mans. And um, I've been working on Esper. Esper, uh, you know, I'm running the... The reason why I chose Esper, um, during our previous talks, we talked about Esper Charm, how possibly good uh, that card was and I mean I think that's the main draw to Esper would be Esper Charm yeah for sure and it was I mean it's it's fairly decent I'm not gonna lie I mean when I draw that card I've never not wanted to see it um, it's always what a two for one usually yeah exactly um, sometimes it's pretty easy to just you know have them discard two cards um but if also I'm, you know, digging for something, drawing two, or, you know, Snapcaster drawing two is is solid. It's something that I'm totally okay with. Um, Especially you know, all the, like, Black Green X decks or Task Control decks. For like, sure. Just card advantage in general and just want to be able to grind them out slowly. Yeah, um, and also between that and, I mean, Lingering Souls. I mean, Lingering Souls is a card, man. I mean... <laughs> Uh, again, yeah, Lingering Souls helps against the Infect. It helps against the Affinity decks a lot. Exactly. Um, however, uh, let's see, I went 1x in the uh, PTQ and then dropped out of it. And then for the 8-man, I did get second place, but I went against John to round 1 
and then Abzan round two, which Esper does pretty well against black green decks. Um, but on the other hand, it seemed I was fairly weak against Burn. I was fairly weak against. Um, I think like zoo strategies in general because you only they have lightning bolt. Exactly. So your main heal spell is like Path Exile usually, right? And yeah, it's like Path Exile. Uh, run two Murder's Cuts, um, one Tasker, and then uh, one Sphinx Rev, and then two uh, Supreme Verdict in the main. I'm always just looking forward to Supreme Verdict, and if I can live that far. Yeah, it, I, it's I, tough against those <laughs> zoo strategies. Yeah. So against aggro, I'm, I'm not a fan of Esper right now. So I'm actually working on Teamer as well as Grixis as well, or Grixis. I'm with you. I like Jerry's list a lot. But Abbott Carol Keep, I'm, I'm just loving that card. Yeah, that card's, that card's been awesome for me, so it's hard to not his power. Yeah, so, and, um, so I'll, yeah, I'll, probably be joining, are you, um, I'll probably be joining you this Friday uh, up at FNM, and we'll see what I, what I bring up. I have a week to come up with the deck list, so. Um, Look forward to it. Oh, absolutely. And then, um, yeah, I got to prep for Pittsburgh. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> Two months away, still not sure what I'm going to play. Um, that's the time, got to grind. That, exactly. Man, that might be the, uh, that's probably the title of the show. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that works. <laughs> Mark that down. Yep, yeah, writing it down now. So, um, so, yeah, this podcast we're going to try every two weeks, and I'm going to be hopefully putting it on iTunes as well as SoundCloud. So yeah, on uh, behalf of Brandon and myself, uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you in two weeks. Later.